Hi, this is Saqib Rahman from the OrthoClips podcast series. And today I am with Serena Namdari, MD. He's shoulder and elbow surgeon and associate professor of orthopedic surgery and director of shoulder and elbow research at the Rothman Institute and Thomas Jefferson University Hospitals here in Philadelphia. And we're gonna be talking about C acnes and shoulder surgery, diagnostic challenges. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, Serena. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here, and I'm really looking forward to it. Great. Yeah, I know um, we've kind of worked together on a lot of uh, educational uh, live programs, but with this COVID-19 uh, going on, I wonder when the next, when the next one of those is going to be, but uh, glad to have you online here. And um, I'll first ask, how did you get interested in investigating this issue? Was it a particular patient or a case or just... Um, by chance, how'd you get interested? I think I think it's one of the black boxes in orthopedics, particularly in in shoulder surgery. Um, you know, it's an area where we have some data, some research, but not a lot of answers. Um, you know, we we've for years had cases of shoulder arthroplasty that didn't do well, and we thought that they were um, cases of what we would call aseptic loosening, which were not infected. And then this bacterium popped up on the scene. And it's a, it's a bacteria that was called Propionibacterium acnes or P. acnes and has been recently relabeled by um, epidemiologists to C. acnes to encompass a wider spectrum. But it's a, it's a bacteria that predominates in the, in the shoulder region as opposed to other areas of the body. And um, as cultures were held longer and as cultures um, were uh, taken on medium using both aerobic and anaerobic means, we saw more and more samples positive for C. acnes after failed shoulder arthroplasty. And so because of this, it was hypothesized that perhaps many of these cases that we thought were really were aseptic were actually septic. And that, and that C. acnes was the impetus or the, the cause for the um, loosening or the poor results, whether it was pain or stiffness. I think that uh, one of the major challenges of C. acnes is that it doesn't present like a typical infection. And so, you know, when we think about infections in, in orthopedics and we think about septic joints, we're thinking about the red, angry, um, uh, joint with purulence, maybe even fever, um, gross signs of implant loosening or failure. Um, but you don't see that routinely with C. acnes. You don't see sinus tracts very commonly. And mainly patients have pain and stiffness. And so we don't have great uh, way to clinically diagnose it. And then um, perhaps even more difficult is that our usual means of diagnosing an infection, either using serum markers like ESR, CRP, and white count, um, or aspiration of a joint is not reliable. Those tests are almost always negative when it comes to C. acnes. Um, but in studies that have looked at um, uh, that have looked at revision cases that they thought were aseptic, there's a high rate of positive cultures. And so, about anywhere from 20 to 50 percent, depending on the study that you read, of our cases that are um, revision surgery without any overt signs of, of infection are positive for C. acnes. So I think you're getting at my second question and uh, I think it's worth reiterating again, you know, 
I was, when I, we asked to talk about the, the topic with you, I kind of said P-acnes or propionobacterium. So um, I, I would imagine a lot of our listeners um, didn't really know that it's now C-acnes. So I'll kind of reiterate that. But getting on my second question, which was, why is this such a problem? I think you outlined a couple of things. It doesn't seem like your obvious hot infection. You're picking it up in cases that didn't seem that they were obviously infected, kind of like that um, unexpected positive culture uh, that you guys get when you do a revision and you just kind of check your culture or like I get when I do a non-union repair and you realize that a culture came back, but it didn't look infected. Um, so I guess that's, I would imagine that's one of the problems. Any other reasons why this is such a particular issue that is, you know, worth taking a close look at and focusing on what other problems does it pose? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, this is a problem that we've investigated a, a lot in the shoulder, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be unique to the shoulder. Um, you will, if you scour the literature, you'll see reports of C. acne's infection in other disciplines. Um, you know, in trauma surgery, as you know, some non-unions um, around the shoulder, clavicle, um, have been linked with C. acne's. Um, in the spine, they're seeing it in some of their uh, revision surgeries. And then hip and knee arthroplasty, they're also seeing it. And so, you know, it's it, the, the major difficulty with this organism is that we're seeing it in our cases of revision surgery that don't show clinical signs. And so the, on its face, that seems like a huge problem because you would think that, you know, 50% of our revisions are infected. And so to put it into context, if you take a group of patients who are having primary shoulder replacement, they've never had an operation before, and you sample their deep joint during the course of their surgery, at least 20 to 30% of those cases are going to be positive for C. acnes. So it's a bacteria that is in our surgical wounds. You know, we realize that our surgeries are not completely sterile. And every time we make an incision in the shoulder, we're releasing C. acnes from the hair follicles that live in the um, dermal layer below the skin surface. And so we don't necessarily know what it means to have a positive culture in the setting of revision when we don't understand um, what a positive culture in the setting of a primary arthroplasty really means. And so it really adds another layer to the complexity. And so currently, because we don't have great diagnostic tests to, um, to use preoperatively, we rely really heavily on our culture results. And our culture results have problems. You know, they, um, they can be contaminants. Um, there can be deep inoculation from the skin level that wasn't really um, living. It wasn't the organism was never really deep inside the wound, but you sampled it because some of it got deep when you made your incision or your approach. Or it can be a contaminant later on in the lab or from even the air. We swab the air in our operating rooms for five seconds um, sterilely um, and sent those samples to the lab, and 15% of them were positive. So. This presents a huge challenge because we use that information to make clinical decisions and decide who to treat. And if you look at complication rates that happen from using um, aggressive IV antibiotic treatment, they're not insignificant. You know, anywhere from 20 to 50% of patients who have IV antibiotics via a PICC line will have some kind of a minor or a major complication. And so it's not a small thing to diagnose somebody with an infection 
after any kind of surgery and then move on to fairly aggressive treatment um, when we're not really sure that they have that kind of a problem. So what you mean is that finding the bacteria doesn't necessarily mean clinical infection. Um, is that what you're getting at? Yeah, I think that, I think I think that's right because you know we don't we assume that the cases that we're doing primarily that do not get routinely infected are not infected at the time of surgery. You know, even though we're seeing bacteria sampled in in let's say 30% of our primary shoulder arthroplasties, we don't consider those to be infected cases. And so because of that, if we see 30 or 50% positive in revision cases, we don't know which ones of those are true infections and which ones are not true infections. That's the biggest challenge right now in terms of the diagnosis. We don't have a perfect way to determine which P. acnes are simply deep inoculants coming from the skin and sampling errors during surgery and don't matter and don't need to be treated versus which C. acnes or P. acnes are um, deep sources of implant loosening and pain and uh, should be aggressively treated. Yeah, this is an interesting concept because it really, it really isn't a whole lot of um, analogs that I can think of that, you know, we have, or we have other bacteria that we think about the same way. I mean, if I have a problem and I'm finding staph, uh, I think that's getting treated. Um, but something like this, it's almost like, um, yeah, you, you, just because you find it doesn't mean you have to treat it. I mean, I think it's a biofilm uh, forming uh, organism as well. And I think you find it on, like you said, in the clavicle, clavicle plates. I think it's been found in the absence of clinical infection. So um, what else does the literature tell us um, either, you know, literature you've been involved in, uh, your investigations or others about um, the challenges in uh, treating these? Maybe we'll just focus a little more on treatment. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the treatment part of it is actually a little bit more encouraging. You know, if you look at the results of single stage revision, where you, you go in, you clean out the joint, you remove the implant, and you put in a new implant at that same setting, and then you treat the uh, bacteria postoperatively in one surgery, one sitting, the results are actually very good when it comes to indolent or, or low virulent organisms like C. acne. So over 90% of patients will have um, eradication of the organism and no recurrence. And so that's at least reassurance that even though we can't necessarily make the diagnosis, um, single-stage revision can be effective, and it's not to say that every one of our joint revisions needs to be a two-stage procedure, which um, can lead to more morbidity. Um, I think that the, the other important factor in terms of how we treat our patients is that because this organism is so difficult to diagnose and even harder to really understand, at this point, you really have to treat all of your surgeries as though they're contaminated, whether it's a primary or a revision. So, you know, when I do my primary arthroplasties, I will pretend like it's an infected case. I'll irrigate with um, three to six liters of saline at the end of the case um, and just assume that there's deep inoculation of the tissues with, with C. acnes. Um, there isn't great data yet on dilute betadine or um, vancomycin powder 
in these settings, but if there are higher risk patients, then I, then I will use those those adjuncts. That's interesting. Getting on my next question, like, and maybe just give me a clinical um, scenario um, and how you approach in your and pra your practice uh, a, a shoulder surgery patient specifically in mind to stay out of trouble with p acnes. Like, what are your steps in your practice that you take? Um, you just kind of named a couple, treat them like they're infected. Anything else, any tips, kind of practical tips to, for other surgeons to stay out of trouble? I mean, you can think of me as well doing, you know, I just fixed a proximal humerus two days ago. Was there something maybe I should have done that I didn't think about? Thinking about PrEP. I know you've written about pre-op antibiotics. Um, all the things we do to prevent infection, what do you do differently for, I should say, C-acne, sorry? Yeah, um, I think there are a few things that, that you can do. So um, in terms of preoperatively, the uh, one thing that has been shown to be effective in reducing the uh, P-acne's culture rate or C-acne's culture rate is uh, benzoyl peroxide. Um, now, I do not routinely use that. The reason is because um, you have to use it for at least three days and it's a patient compliance um, issue. Um, so I don't routinely use that, but it is an option. Um, the other is uh, being able to identify the patient who's at risk. And typically the patient who has, who's at risk is the younger male patient. Those are the patients with the higher concentrations of C-acnes. And so for those people, um, uh, we do consider the things like dilute betadine or vancomycin powder, and I'll use both in that, in that patient population. Um, routinely in every patient, we'll, uh, we've changed our PrEP. And so um, instead of just uh, a betadine type scrub followed by a chloroprep, um, we have added a, a layer to that and it goes in the middle and that's a hydrogen peroxide wash. And so we've shown um, in one of our studies that it reduced the P-acnes or C-acnes load um, in the skin with dermal biopsies by 50%. And so I think that's a very simple adjunct that, that any institution can add. Hydrogen peroxide is cheap. It doesn't rely on patient compliance, and you can simply add it to your prep. And so we do that routinely. After I make skin incision, I get rid of that knife. That knife goes away, and it, and it's not, it is not used for the rest of the case. It's off the field. Um, I think that's something that anybody um, can do as well. Postoperatively, um, I do not routinely put patients on antibiotics long term. Uh, I do worry about the potential uh, impact of um, antimicrobial resistance. So uh, I don't use a lot of that. You know, the, the one thing that we really don't know the answer to, we're, we're trying to use all these techniques to decolonize the skin of C. acnes. Um, we don't know what that does to the microbiome. Um, there's, there is likely an influence. And um, the concern is that if we get too aggressive in terms of eradicating an organism that we don't completely understand, uh, then we could um, encourage the overgrowth of pathogens that we really uh, may cause more clinical problems. Excellent. So um, to wrap up, I guess I'll just ask a question about the future. Um, what do you see coming um, down the road in terms of diagnostic methods? Um, 
alpha defensin, immunofluorescence, um, next-gen sequencing. And, you know, I talked to um, one of your colleagues, um, Dr. Parvizi, uh, on a recent podcast and interestingly shared a lot of uh, similar uh, sentiments you did about, um, you know, the fact that a lot of our so-called aseptic revision cases may in fact be infected until proven otherwise. And also um, one other thing he said is that he really thinks the future in total joint infection diagnosis is not going to be cultures, but it's going to be, um, you know, sequencing and other um, uh, more accurate methods of, of diagnosis. What do you see happening? What's happening in the research world to try and improve uh, upon our current, uh, you know, problems with diagnosis? Yeah, I think um, I think Dr. Parvizi's points are are right on. I mean, the the problem with cultures is that they're so reliant on so many things going right um, in order to be accurate. And we already know that we have a test when it comes to C acnes that in 30% of primary cases is positive. And so it's very it makes it almost impossible to interpret it in the setting of revision to diagnose infection. And so in order for us to determine which bacteria matter and which ones don't matter, we're going to have to have a better tool. And so in some people are looking at possible different strains of C. acnes, possibly looking at whether hemolytic versions versus non-hemolytic versions are more likely to be pathogenic. Um, we have looked at next generation sequencing. Um, there are different levels of next generation sequencing, and uh, the the technique that we've looked at, interestingly, the cases that you would consider to be infected with C. acnes based on culture were not the same cases that you would consider to be infected by next generation sequencing. So we're left with even uh, a more complex problem, which is, is are the cultures right? Or is the next generation sequencing right? Are they both wrong? or are they both right and they, they both have a role? So I think the further research that's going to come is going to be uh, directed towards a better uh, molecular test that can help us determine which bacteria are really causing problems within the joint versus those that are just simply part of the, the microbiome and maybe um, travel down deep into the joint. And there's probably a patient-related factor that we don't completely understand some patients can likely be inoculated with bacteria that are indolent and they cause no functional problem and their immune system is such that they can, uh, that bacteria becomes part of their normal um, flora versus other patients that maybe are more immunosuppressed or have a different immune response to even a, an indolent organism. So I think that those are the things that are going to become more elucidated in the future as we continue to, to look at this. Yeah, really fascinating stuff. Um, so yeah, a lot of stuff. I think that it's, um, I think it's a uh, topic of interest to a lot of people, not just people who do uh, shoulder arthroplasty, but those of us um, who have to deal with um, any type of implants. And I think even to some extent, shoulder arthroscopy is not immune to this. Um, so I want to thank you again, uh, Serena. Again, I, I've been with Serena Namdari. Uh, who is at the Rothman Institute. Um, 
thank you again. We've been talking about C-acnes and shoulder surgery diagnostic challenges. Appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. And I think, you know, I've seen your podcast. I think this is a great resource for residents, medical students, and really anybody who has an interest in orthopedic problems. Thanks. Appreciate the love.